urban legend is, if you say his name five times while looking in the mirror, he appears in the reflection and kills you. Who would do that? Candyman. 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 Well, we're still alive. <laughs> Let's go. Trina, you've broken the door. feel really connected to this neighborhood. Cabrini Green. It was the projects. I just moved in around the corner. The old candy factory. I'm an artist. You look up a candy man. He's the monster that's part of this neighborhood. Why are you drawn to this? I'm hoping to spread the story. All about Candyman. The mirror invites you to summon him. You should say his name. I dare you. Candyman. 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 Don't. Don't say that. Candyman. I think it made a mistake. I brought him back. Candyman isn't real! He had a purpose for you to be another one of his terrible stories. I guess he found me. I am the writing on the wall. The sweet smell of blood. Be my victim. This is not real. It's not real. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of Fresh Cuts. I'm Mike, and joining me, as always, it's Mr. Venom. What's going on, Venom? How are you doing? Greetings and salutations, my friends, or should I say for this week, sweets to the sweet. How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, I was just about to say, friends, that's... uh... (laughs) Yeah, I know, because we all know I have no friends. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, All right, joining us as well it's don and ellie what's up don how's it going hey what's going on everyone eh, always great to be here all right good to hear from that everyone's doing well so tonight we are covering a movie that should come as no surprise it's probably one of the most anticipated at least you know among the masses a movie that was originally slated to come out much earlier but uh, just like a ton of other movies, it got pushed back to the pandemic, and uh, we are talking about Candyman 2021. So, yeah, Jordan Peele involved with the writing, but it's actually directed by DaCosta. DaCosta, I think that's been cleared up like in the past like six months or so. I know when the movie yeah. was originally coming out and all the promos in 2020 were coming out, it seemed like some people were confused just because... You flash Jordan Peele's name on there, and you, I think at the time, just because he's, you know, really upcoming and big right now, that people just assumed he was the director, too, but not so. 
So, let's see. Anything else for me to say before we get into it? Not really. Like I said, it's probably one of the most anticipated, uh, bigger, you know, theatrical releases of now 2021. So, with that, we will get into general thoughts. Venom, we'll kick it to you like we always do. What did you think of Candyman? All right. So, after watching the film... Uh, I came home and started listening and watching reviews on YouTube and some podcasts here and there. And it seems like the horror community is pretty split 50-50 on this movie. It seems like uh, some people think that it's just an absolute masterpiece, that it's um, a perfect movie for this time, that it speaks a lot of the things that need to be spoken, blah, blah, blah. And then we've got uh, the other side of the fence where people saying that it's too woke um, there's too much social commentary, or should I say the social commentary is a little heavy handed? Um, well, as far as I am concerned, I am going to go with uh, the former. I absolutely love this film. I, I had such a great time with it. There's a lot of changes in this movie from the original trilogy that obviously we're not going to get into until the spoiler section. But I loved almost all of them. I loved the changes made to the Candyman mythology. I loved um, just the setting for this, you know, still being Cabrini Greens, but not exactly the same. It's the same area, but not necessarily the same buildings because they've been demolished in the interim. Um, I think the stars in this film were perfectly cast. I think everyone does a really, really fine job. Um, our main star, Yahya Abdul-Mateen, I, I was, I'm going to say his performance and his girlfriend's performance, uh, Brianna Cartwright, I, or excuse me, that's the character. Um, man, how do you pronounce her name? Tiana Paris. Tiana Paris. Yeah. Um, I thought their performances were just pitch perfect. I thought their chemistry was uh, absolutely wonderful. Um, I think a lot of the complaints that people are going to have about this movie is going to be about the social commentary, but I don't see this as a quote unquote woke horror film. Um, sometimes, you know, and I hate to bring race into this, but sometimes when white people watch a film and they see two black people in the movie talking about race issues, they instantly label that movie as woke. And that's a bullshit mentality. Black people in real life speak about race issues. It's their fucking life. They have, they deal with that every day of their life. You know, the, the fact that they, you know, feel like secondary citizens, second class citizens in this country. Um, for those of us who are not black, we have no idea what their life is like. I didn't grow up fearing the police like most black men do. Um, you know, I didn't grow up, you know, fearing white women that they could accuse me of rape and, you know, get me put in jail. So um, for a lot of these people that are living in their kind of white privilege bubble to look at this movie and call it woke, I'm going to look you all in the face and tell you that you are 100% incorrect. You want to talk about woke horror? Let's uh, rewind a couple of years to a little movie called Black Christmas 2019, where I famously lambasted that film for just slapping me in the face with its feminist issues. This movie does not slap you in the face with social issues. They're there. It's a movie set in the ghetto. So, yeah, it's always going to be an ever-present, you know, um, 600-pound gorilla but at the same time, they're not forcing it down our throat. They're not. This movie isn't like Antebellum where it's black people good, white people bad. Not at all. And, you know, I appreciate that about this. They also corrected a major flaw in the original, which I 
I never really understood, and as much as I love Virginia Madsen and I love her performance in the original Candyman, I never understood how a white woman was the protagonist in a movie set in the ghetto based around a, you know, uh, a figure uh, almost like an avenging angel for the projects, and yet it stars Virginia Madsen. So, again, that's Hollywood at play. I'm going to leave that alone for now, but because I do still love the original Candyman. Don't get it twisted. I absolutely love that movie. Tony Todd makes that movie. Now, back to 2021. Um, we have a, a lot less gore in this one than the original, a lot less gore, uh, which is probably going to turn off some people because that's, you know, a big part of the original movie, you know, the beheading of the, the pit bull and, you know, all the blood and violence in that film. A lot of it is absent here. We get a lot of off screen deaths, but you know what, as I was watching the film at no point was I regretting that the kills weren't more, uh, on screen or that they were more visceral. Yeah, the gore hound in me always wants more blood. But as but as I'm watching this movie, it wasn't a point of contention for me. So I'm very okay with that. Um, you know, it, it's still a fairly violent movie. I mean, the sound design, as far as, since most of the kills are off screen, the sound design, I think, is done really, really well. Uh, there's lots of gags. Obviously, it's a Candyman movie, so you're going to get a lot of mirror gags in this one. But aside from just chanting his name five times... We also get some really cool shots where we'll see Candyman in the reflection in the mirror, but not, uh, you know, in the real shot, you know, the unreflected shot. And I, I, th I thought they used that really, really well in this film. And, uh, man, uh, last but not least, I got to talk about Candyman himself. Now, I, I can't get into too much detail now, obviously, because it is a fairly major spoiler. But there's also a lot of complaints about this Candyman, um, the actor who plays Candyman in this film. I forgot his name. Uh, Michael Hargrove, uh, who plays uh, Sherman Fields, who is Candyman in this film. And I, I know a lot of people have been kind of poo-pooing his performance as Candyman. But when you actually finish the film and watch it to its end, I am actually very glad that uh, Mr. Hargrove's performance wasn't as loud and big as Tony Todd. No one's ever going to be able to duplicate Tony Todd. Tony Todd nailed Candyman. All right. There, there's just no arguing that. But for the context of Candyman in this film in 2021, I thought Michael Hargrove, you know, did a fine job. He's not Tony Todd by any stretch, but I still think that for this film, he did a great job. So um, the only real major complaint I have about this movie is its third act. Its third act is almost frantic. There's too much stuff going on. You get really nice pacing, nice character development, nice story and plot points, you know, being given to us at a nice uh, palatable pace for the first two acts. But then right at the start of the third act, they just start it's almost like they hit fast forward on the film and they just start jamming as much stuff in as possible. And when we get kind of one of the major reveals at the end of the movie, as the viewer, we don't really get a lot of time to kind of swallow it and come to terms with it. It just happens. Like, you know, one of the characters says, basically once we figure out what's happening and what one of the antagonists in the film is trying to do, it just happens right away. And it's like, holy shit, I didn't even get a chance to kind of process 
this little bit of information. So, yeah, I would say for once, this is a 90 minute movie. It's exactly 90 minutes. And I would say I could have gone for like another 10 to 15 minutes in that third act. I want to see a little bit more with Anthony McCoy, uh, our, our, you know, our main character here, Yahya Abdul-Mateen. And um, just see a little bit more of like him coming to terms with what happens in that third act. We get almost none of that. And and that's really the only shame. It feels like this movie maybe was like an hour 45, hour and 50 minutes. But then maybe the studio was just like, no, we want a tight 90 and had to come out, cut out some maybe some major plot points here and there. Maybe not plot points, but at least development stuff, um, especially for that third act. So, yeah, ultimately, um, just to cut this uh, short now, I really, really enjoyed this film. Um, this is a movie that I'm going to return to a lot. Uh, I don't know that it's really top 10 quality by any stretch, but uh, I, I really, really enjoyed this. And I, I I look forward to debating with any reviewers who uh, look at this movie as too woke for its own good, because, yeah, I've got so many defenses for that. But I'm going to leave my general thoughts at that for now. And yes, I really, really love this film. I think very highly of it and it's, it gets a high recommend from me. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, good. Glad to turn the tables. Cause the, the, I think the last few movies, I, sometimes I try to, uh, you know, the day that we're recording mm-hmm. when I'm working and stuff, I'll try to like go over my head, like what I thought about the movie and what I'm, think you guys might think and lately i've been very off with your opinions but this one <laughs> i was like okay don't forget Hopefully. i'm still a minority i mean uh, spaniards are considered white europeans but in america i'm just as brown as a mexican so <laughs> uh all right don what are your general thoughts on Candyman? Okay, um, I've been going over this for quite a while, ever since I've seen it, and I'm still not entirely sure. Um, I I still don't know where I land with this one officially. Maybe tonight will probably sort out a lot of where I stand, but for the most part, I'm I really really like it, and I I want to love it. I I I can't be as enthusiastic as Venom is, although I will. I'll start off um, with the elephant in the room. I'm here for its social commentary. I'm a willing listener. Give me this. Give me this conversation. I want to have it. I'm here for it. Let's do this. You know, I love the way that this goes about it because, as he's correctly stated, compared to Black Christmas. This is exactly the kind of way I would want a social commentary, social commentary heavy film to be. And I'm a person I don't care for. It. That's my one. Def- that's my one critique of all of, you know, like the Romero zombie films. I don't care for the social commentary in those films. Oftentimes I can't find it because I don't know what it's commenting on. But regardless, I don't really want that in my horror films. I'm here for it if it wants to, but I'm not specifically there looking for it. And the way that this goes about it, talking about its racial issues, talking about, you know, the plight of minorities and the oppressed and, you know, run down derelict 
neighborhoods. I, I want to have this conversation. Let's talk about it. But the rest of the film, man, I, I keep going back and forth on where I stand with this. Um, I like uh, the stalking scenes. I like the way that it sets up the sets up the way Candyman comes after its victims. But man, I I want the gore. I want the bloodshed. I want all of that. And the fact that so many of stuff happens off screen, like he says, it's disappointing. I I'm not. I'm not into the. It's so hard to explain because I, I'm trying to keep from spoiling this. I want this film to be better than what it is as a horror film because that's my main my main gripe. I'm sorry, I don't agree with Venom on this one. I think Candyman is a complete travesty in this. I cannot stand the way that he comes across. He is not scary in this at all. The setup to all of the kills is great. I love, you know, we get two great stalking scenes in here. I want more. And the unfortunate thing is, the second stalking scene is a, com- is a complete throwaway that's simply in the film just to add bodies. I'm, I wanted more. I want more of the Candyman. I want... And this is going to be, uh, I, I, I hate having to do this, but it's a comparison to the original. The original film, my favorite quality, and the one reason why I think so highly of that film, is the, the psychological issues present into whether or not Candyman is real or in Helen's head. Whether or not he was actually real all along or just a figment of her imagination, I'm here for that. That is the one thing that I love about how that film comes off because it plays with that so long for th- throughout the course of the film that I, I, I had a hard time figuring out whether or not it was real. The first time I saw it, whether or not he was actually real or not, it took me until like a couple of times to figure out whether or not he was actually there or whether or not it was all in Helen's head. And I don't get that here because unfortunately I disagree again. I don't think Anthony is that interesting a protagonist. He just automatically comes in two seconds after hearing about the legend. He's obsessed with it. And there's no buildup to it. There's no rationale to it. I'm not completely sold on it actually being as interesting as he thinks it is based on what we get here. And yeah, uh, I, I have a lot of issues with that part of the film. Like I said, I also have issues with Candyman himself. I don't think he's that interesting the way that he's presented here. But I, I I really want to like it based on what it's talking about, where it goes. I I, I just I have a lot of issues with it, and, and uh, I I don't really want to say any more because I don't want to one compare this to the original because I have to do that, and I don't want to go deeper into spoilers, which I'm afraid I'm going to do if I keep talking. So <clears throat> I'm uh, just going to leave it at that. Yeah, actually, Don, I, I actually did mean to mention that myself because I did kind of realize that as I was watching it, that there is no mystery to this movie. I mean, anybody who's seen the original Candyman knows that those first couple of deaths, they're very ambiguous. You know, um, Virginia Madsen's character, Helen, uh, Helen Lyle, 
basically blacks out. And then when she comes to, there'll be a dead body next to her and then she'll be covered in blood too. So there was that mystery of a mm-hmm. psychological horror. And yeah, you're 100% right. It is totally missing here. Whether it's missing, obviously, is going to be a matter of opinion, because as I'm watching the film, I didn't really miss it. It was something I thought about afterwards that, oh, yeah, you know, I mean, Candyman, it was obviously Candyman the entire time. There was no ifs, ands, or buts about it, um, nothing psychological. For whatever it's worth, the story that they were trying to tell in this version, I was okay with the lack of mystery. Um, obviously, you know, we're as horror movie fans, we're going into the theater to watch uh, you know, a horror movie. So we know something, you know, horrible is going to happen. And ultimately, um, I don't know. I, 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 I hmm, how can I put this without spoiling anything? You know what? I'm but it say wasn't, it. but the mystery aspect to it by the end of the first one was done, right? I mean, oh, by the end of by the, the end. yeah, that's act what, of the first one. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Was. Is that the is that when the first time watching it, I fell into the mystery of whether or not it was all in her head or not mm-hmm. whether or not he was a real being and that's one of the things that I love the most about it and it still holds up for me on repeat viewings that's the part that I was complaining about that it's not missing here you, you know that it's been it's him the entire time yeah and that's yeah I mean. yeah I mean because if you view this as more of a sequel which I think it really should be viewed as it's kind of hard to like repeat that <laughs> that psychological mystery aspect of whether it's real or not so yeah i mean yeah, i understand to, you have to make like a true remake um, or they and, and would have to story, like yeah. you know yeah it would have to be like a hundred percent remake or they would have to write something into the story that casts like doubts on the events of the original which i don't which was like the opposite of what they were doing. They were almost continuing yeah. on those. Yeah. Um, but, but uh, is that pretty much, I don't want to start. Well, I guess, yeah. That's, why, that's that. why I stopped it there because I, I, one, I was going to compare it to the original, which I didn't want to do. And okay. then I was also going to spoil it further, which I also was kind of against. So that's kind of why I wrapped it up there. Yeah. Okay. Um, then for me, yeah, as as far as my thoughts, I am aligned a lot with uh, what Venom had to say. Uh, I thought, you know, the social commentary aspect was pretty good. I mean, I, I think there was some of it in the original, too. In fact, I remember through the years, some of the criticism of the original was like it, it kind of approached the subjects but then like stopped from really getting totally into it yeah um i i will say i think you know i i'm totally all for i i think for the most part the movie handled it fine i i do think there was like you know a couple pieces of dialogue here and there where i think they could have shown and instead they decided to tell which might it's not a huge criticism. I just think, um, like, for example, like, I won't get into, like, the, the specific dialogue or anything yet, but I think, like, very early in the movie, like, I'm trying to think if it was, like, the first opening scene where they're all together in the loft kind of, like, having a conversation about, like, the upcoming art show or something, and then, like, they get into, like, the topic of gentrification, which yep. perfectly valid because this movie tackles that theme a lot. In fact, I would say, I would say that's one of the main themes as opposed to what 
some people think, which we'll get into in a little bit. Um, I think there's some dialogue in that conversation where you could have easily summed up half of what they were saying by just some sweeping camera shots of uh, the old neighborhood juxtaposed against like all these new high rises, which they actually do do in the movie. I, I think it's interesting because we, mm-hmm. we kind of get we kind of get the dialogue, but then they do go ahead and show us by just giving us the wide camera shots where I almost like we almost kind of didn't need the dialogue but it's you know it's it's it is why it didn't bother me i just kind of figured okay you just kind of showed us exactly what you were just talking about so maybe that's supports it even more i mean maybe that just helps reinforce it or in some cases mm-hmm. you could say we didn't need the last five minutes of dialogue because like if if you want to give the the audience the benefit of the doubt that when you're kind of juxtaposing these a shut down condemned neighborhood right alongside like this new you know hipster town Mm-hmm. That kind of does the explain right there. That aside, yeah, I, I'm I totally thought everything was handled. I, I like that uh they they expanded their criticism beyond just the usual targets in this. I think they even turned it on some of the main characters uh in a way through uh some of the dialogue as well, kind of like asking like, you know, you're you are trying to show awareness through your art, but what are you really solving by this other than making people kind of nod their heads and go back, you know, to their daily lives, which has been like kind of a, a long criticism mm-hmm. um, in, in this lane for a long time. Um, but I'll cut that off right now. <laughs> so I'm not saying too much. Uh, I, I do agree. I think my, if I had one main issue and I think it's venom, this is another thing you brought up. I think the third act uh, is where it gets a little, like you said, frantic. That was a good term for it. It just feels like they kind of got to that 75-minute mark and were like, okay, we need this to not go anywhere over you know, 90-ish minutes. We got to get to where we need to be and it it felt like you know in the within the next five minutes it's like we get that car scene at the end where like everything's full blown where you know at our destination you're just like whoa that felt like we weren't even ready for this to happen yet and then it's it's already happening and credits are rolling now i know last year i believe there was like like rewrites on the script or reshoots or something. And I don't know if it was like studio initiated or what happened, but I I swear I read something about that. I'm wondering if like, maybe there was some, uh, you know, cuts to the story because I felt, I felt the pace was perfectly fine up until that point. Like I liked how they were kind of taking it slow. Uh, They were really trying to develop uh, the characters and kind of like, the Candyman's role in this movie, um, and I do have like an well uh, an explanation for me or a justification why it was kind of like the way it was as far as how they developed the character, why it was kind of different, mm-hmm. um, which I'll get to in spoilers. But uh, yeah, other than that kind of like little pacing issue towards the end, I don't really have many complaints about this movie. I thought it was really well. I think it's a type of movie that will improve upon rewatch just because uh, I I think, you know, there's a lot of, it seemed like there's a lot of confusion between 
are within a lot of people going into it, whether this was like a sequel or a remake. And I think now after having seen it once and being able to digest what, what they were going for, maybe a second time, you know, reexamining the events of the movie um, will be beneficial. I like a lot of the symbolism going on um, in this, like even, even something as simple as, uh, the guy from the town owning a laundromat and washing machines representing a cycle continuing, right? Mm-hmm. Not not really a spoiler. That's not really spoiling any story <laughs> aspects. It's just a small example of, to me, that is a great example of showing, not telling, right? I mean, of course, yeah. we, throughout the movie, we can kind of get dialogue suggesting events throughout time or years, but then something as simple as the camera panning across the washing machines, whereas the first time watch, you might not pick up something like that. But that field felt very Jordan Peele-esque, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, and with him being involved in the movie, uh, you know, something something as simple as that, but it, it perfectly along with the message of the movie. And I think the greater kind of, uh, I guess the greater aspect of what they were going for with the Candyman mythology um, mm-hmm. expanding upon what we already knew. Um, so yeah, I'm kind of going off in every direction because <laughs> I didn't just want to repeat everything you said. Cause you know, most of it I was in line with, but yeah, overall really enjoyed the movie. Uh, I kind of can't wait to go see it again. Like yeah. if I had more free time just to go to the theater, I would probably go see it a second time. It's just whether or not I'll have the chance. But yeah, um, big fan yeah. of this one. And uh, another major aspect that I didn't talk about during my um, general thoughts is the cinematography in this film. This film is gorgeous. It is stunning. I mean, we just sat here last week talking about the Nighthouse and how some of the shots around the lake were really beautiful. This movie, there are some very compelling shots in here. I mean, the movie opens with an upside down shot of Chicago on a foggy morning and it almost disorients you as the viewer because the movie's starting out like that and you're like, what the hell? Whereas like in Midsommar, let's say, when that upside down shot occurred, it started from a right side up shot and we actually saw it move. So just little choices like that, I thought were just really, really uh, well done. Uh, I'm not sure who the cinematographer was here, but they should definitely be... uh, kind of featured because yeah I, I as i'm watching the movie i was in awe of some of the shots i mean some of the symbolism uh some of the shots in the art gallery even uh the bathroom uh scene with all the high school girls who said candy man in the mirror just the way that was shot was you know it it, it it takes a lot of chances because, as Don has said, he's the kind of horror fan that wants to see more of the viscera, wants to see the kills, wants to see the, uh, you know, the penetration, if you will. Um, whereas Nia DaCosta didn't really want to show us a lot of that. But these scenes are still very visceral, especially that bathroom scene in general. Even though we don't see what Candyman actually does, we hear the sound effects, which, again, just like the cinematography, the sound design in this film is amazing. I absolutely loved it. I love the way that they use the original score and just kind of modernized it for 2021 and still used it throughout the film, that same piano line that we're all very familiar with from the Candyman um, franchise. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, like I said, from a technical aspect, uh, this movie is so well done. I mean, it's definitely something that should be highlighted. Um, and then from a storytelling standpoint, I know it's not going to make everyone happy. This is definitely a story that, you know, maybe some hardcore horror fans, you know, um, especially older ones, like folks our age may not and get into this as much because again, you know, we are dealing with some social commentary and, and very in your face social commentary, but sometimes that's how social commentary has to be. I mean, sometimes it's gotta be slapping you in the face to get you to listen. And, but, but at no point did I feel like they overdid it in this movie, even when they were having that long conversation about gentrification, I I'm, I'm, I was riveted with that conversation. Like at no point was I sick of hearing these minorities talk about, you know, these poor neighborhoods and how white people, you know, uh, what do you call it? Manipulate the real estate, you know, um, markets and values so that they can gentrify an area, blah, blah, blah. So I, I was totally riveted with the conversation. Now, again, you know, I am kind of looked upon as a minority in this country. So maybe those kind of things just kind of spoke to me. I, I will fully admit, I really haven't had to deal with a lot of racism in my life, even though I am from Connecticut. As I said, I am a Spaniard and we are considered white Europeans in Europe. In Europe, we're considered Caucasians. But in America, apparently, you know, we're we're just as Latino as, you know, anybody south of the border. So um, maybe that little tiny piece of me still kind of, related to some of the things that were talked about in this film a little bit more than say your average white viewer. And again, folks, I'm not trying to bring race into this, uh, but by, you know, I'm not trying to start a conversation here that, you know, is going to venture off into a three hour conversation about race relation, not at all, but it's still something that I am cognizant of. And when done well, I absolutely adore it. Like in this movie and when it's done poorly, like in black Christmas and antebellum, it just, it, it, it's a grind to get through movies like that. And I really wanted to be on board with antebellum, but man, was I just very unhappy with that film. But again, we already reviewed that. So let's go ahead and move on. Um, I don't Whoa. think there's much more I can say without spoilers. Yeah, I was just going to add that I think your criticism of that criticism in this case, like for a movie specifically like this, is valid because, you know, reading like people's reaction, um, I, I see a lot of people like writing it all. Like, I, I feel like there's a certain segment, and it, I don't, I, I'm not picking on horror fans because it's probably just movie fans in general it doesn't even have to be the horror genre specifically yeah cinephiles you know casual cinema whatever um there's a certain segment of folks that if a movie is tackling these kind of issues whether it's on the surface or subtext they just will come right out and say i don't like it. it i don't want that in my movie um now that's a and my argument always has always been well there's nothing i can really do to convince people like that you know where i think i'm more willing to have the conversation in the back and forth with is uh if you if you are just criticizing specifically the delivery of like how the issues are tackled you know if like something like like you mentioned black christmas where it's just sloppy uh uninspired writing you know and where the movie itself is just not good period um 
that's a whole different thing. I, I think with this, you know, I, I, I'm looking at the criticism or some of the criticism and it's just like, oh, stupid woke movie talking about this. It's everything's about race. And I'm like, well, look, you know, movies, you know, movies are stories. And I, I don't, I, I guess my point is I don't see anything in this movie other than like, you know, I guess the like supernatural elements aside, mm-hmm. if you if you are looking at the main characters, or if you know if you find the main characters believable, well, I don't think anything they're talking about in this movie is that far fetched of a scenario in real life, right? Yeah. Like I I I don't think they're exaggerating much. I, I think they're talking about things that actually go on. So yep. if your pro if your problem is you just don't you don't find that kind of content entertaining period. Well, fine. I mean, that that's just the way it is. I, the, no explanation is going to change your mind on it. So mm-hmm. I get, you know, it's just, you want different things in your horror movie. You're just happy with, you know, your, I guess your slasher movies, which I'm perfectly happy with too, but I just also mm-hmm. like these type of movies as well. And I, and I think it, that goes into the, the greater conversation of like, well, when you get greater representation of more voices, more faces in movies, they are going to have different stories to tell. They are going to bring, you know, aspects of their life, what they experienced growing up, what, you know, maybe family, friends, relatives, uh, experience. And, you know, if, if, if you go by the, uh, the saying that like art, imitates life not always but in a lot of a lot of yeah. times art imitates life well then you have to give uh some uh respect and uh, uh i guess benefit of the doubt that the people that are writing this particular piece of art are bringing in things from their life or their perspective on what they've grown up with or just dealt with in their communities so you know i i I, sometimes I just find the criticism in that regard just ridiculous. Now, if you want to talk to me about like specific dialogue, maybe that you thought was, you know, too much or, you know, specific instances of things, that's different. But then just, but to write off completely a movie because what their experience isn't the same as your experience. Therefore it's automatically not a good movie. I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't get it, but. I'm, I'm, I'm used to, you know, within the last decade, I'm used to seeing that kind of criticism pop up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Too much, in fact. Yeah. Anyways, right. yeah, that's it for my general thoughts. <laughs> All right, what do we say? Get into some spoilers? Let's do it. All so right. let me ask uh, let me ask one question. Yes. Right off the bat. Because I watched the, so I watched the original mm-hmm. uh, before, like, like literally, be- like, almost before. Mm-hmm. I went to the me. theater. So let me ask. And Don, I don't know how long it had been since you've seen the original, so you can feel free to answer as well. Um, but especially Venom, because you watched it a day before I watched it a day of. So mm-hmm. would you have remembered that the baby from the original's name was Anthony yes. <laughs> before? Because I will, I'm, I'm, I'll be honest. I hadn't seen, like, I hadn't seen the original in a while. Like, it, I knew, I remembered enough about it. To, I remembered, I liked it. I generally knew what it was about and all that. But I wouldn't have remembered that uh, 
that woman's baby was Anthony, and then the name Anthony gets said so much in this movie that it's like, well, that's why I, I kind of like, I was like, oh, okay. It gets said so much in that in the first movie too. In the scene where Anthony, as a baby, actually goes missing in the original, she actually repeats his name a lot. She's like, Anthony, mm-hmm. where's my Anthony? Blah blah blah, and it's like, um. I I will fully admit that I didn't put it together uh, as I'm watching this, even though they said his name. um, It's just Anthony's such a common name. It's not like his name was, you know, Denarius or or something like that, something like very different. You know what I mean? Anthony's a very common name. So I definitely wasn't thinking about it, even though, you know, I watched it less than 24 hours. uh, The original, I watched the original less than 24 hours before watching this one. But until they actually, until they went to Anne Marie's house, that was where I recognized it. Because apparently, I went back and watched the trailer. She's in the goddamn trailer. That would have ruined a lot for me because I recognized Anne Marie instantly. As soon as she opened the apartment door, I'm like, oh shit. You know, instantly it's like now we're getting like the, the, the connective tissue between the original and this one. It's starting to form. And I, I just started getting really, really excited. And then as soon as she opens that door, I'm like, God damn it, Anthony. And it just clicked. Yeah. So um, it's just something I wasn't thinking about. But I did remember that the, the kid's name was Anthony from the original. Uh, for my experience, to answer your question, I I vaguely remember the name but i yeah i didn't put two and two together until they said it because i i had seen it maybe within the last two years um i i'm I'm trying to remember um when it clicked uh because i actually kind of remember i remember i specifically remember the incident of, of when they get him back but I never, I never remember specifically the name set in that scene for some reason. Mm-hmm. I don't remember them actually saying, like, you know, oh my god, Anthony, there he is, like, get him, like, whatever they do, because I, I don't remember that scene specifically. Mm-hmm. I remember that it happened, but I don't remember the name specifically from that scene, which is, like, the main point of it. Right. Mm-hmm. But I, I did remember that, I, I did remember that it was him, but it took a while for it to click. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I when I when I go to watch a movie, I try not to like put the puzzle pieces together too quickly. I just want to kind of enjoy the film. Um, so I just wasn't thinking about it. Like um, on top of the fact that we weren't convinced that this was going to be 100 percent a sequel. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of us going into it, we were you know, people were calling it a spiritual sequel, a remake, a reboot, whatever you want to call it. So that's how I was taking it. So I basically wiped my mind of the original Candyman as I'm watching this, because I knew that no matter what they did here with the actual character of Candyman, it was never going to touch Tony Todd's performance. Tony Todd, I mean, that first shot of Candyman in the original movie in the parking lot with his big booming voice, Helen, you know, I mean, that is an epic scene, you know, that will not be forgotten soon. So I knew that this, that uh, Mr. Hargrove, Michael Hargrove in this film wasn't going to come close to that. But because of where they went with the mythology, I was very okay with it. Um, There's a podcaster out right now who's kind of posting about the film. And I'm actually very, very surprised that they hate the film. Or not hate, hate is a strong word, but they were very, very disappointed with the film. And their biggest gripe was Candyman. And And I'm like, well, wait a minute. 
you do understand that in the context of this story, that particular Candyman isn't really the be all end all. You know what I mean? Like Tony Todd was in the original. And I'm sorry, I'm kind of we are in the spoiler section, so I'm going to go ahead and just reveal it. Uh, Obviously, if you haven't seen the movie, this is all new to you. But most of you still with us have probably seen the movie. Uh, Yes, they do reveal that Candyman is not one person. Candyman is actually oh, how can I put this without being offensive? Almost like the golem of the ghetto, if you will. He's an avenging angel. Um, for minorities in those neighborhoods. So in, in the sense that in this movie, yes, if you summon Candyman, uh, more than likely you, he is going to kill you. But if you summon Candyman uh, because of a, an, an injustice that's been occurring to you, Candyman actually is on your side. Uh, you know, again, assuming you're a black person who's being marginalized or victimized by, you know, a, a, one or a group of white people, suddenly Candyman becomes an avenging angel. Um, I know a lot of people had problems with that. I adored it. I love it because I want to like Candyman. Ultimately, Daniel Robitaille, Tony Todd's Candyman, it's a sad story, but ultimately he's killing off his own people in that movie, it seems like, more often than not in the original. The, you know, I've I've always said I've had some issues with the storytelling from the original because, like I said, it seems like it's uh, a myth, you know, from the projects or a legend from the projects, but it's affecting, you know, all these white people in the movie. And then, uh, like Mike said, we kind of lose all the social commentary in the third act of the original Candyman. It just goes right out the window. Whereas here, you know, it's pretty much a solid theme throughout. And then once we get that reveal in the third act, that the um, the laundry the laundromat owner the guy who's been feeding Anthony all of this information throughout the film is actually trying to create the next Candyman. I thought yeah. that was a great reveal. That yeah. reveal yeah. in the church was awesome. And not no, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go, go ahead. ahead. No, I was just going to say I, I think it's important to reiterate the, that last point you just made because one of the criticisms I've seen of the movie is the kind of lack of, um, I guess, presence of Candyman through much of the movie. And I I think it's important to understand that when this movie picks up, you know, at the beginning, the mythology of the Candyman we know and have experience with is effectively dead because the old uh, projects, Caprini Green, what we knew of Caprini Green going into the movie, is gone. You know, there's what a few stragglers, the, the one guy you said, uh, what's his name? William Burke played by Coleman Domingo. Yeah. The laundromat um, guy, yeah. 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 He, he's still there, you know, and he was the kid or he, you know, he, his character has been around and knows Candyman, the legend and a lot, but effectively Caprini Green's a ghost town. It's all like gentrified hipsterville now. So for the most part, there is no Candyman lore in that town anymore. So yeah. this movie is almost about kind of resurrecting the mythology for a new generation to remind people and uh, of of the legend to begin with. And I, I think yeah. that's important, and it goes to the greater story and the kind of the point he made when he said it's – what did he say? It's not about the guy or something. It's about the whole hive. Yeah, uh, Basically, is, like – yeah, the manifestation of, you know, community trauma that kind of rises up 
and uh, is almost like it's almost like a reflection in a mirror in the mirror in a way, which I, I think there is some like gray area there to be discussed and dissected because it's like yes, he is an avenging angel at in one hand, but also. I mean, Candyman dialogue before even said like innocent blood will be spilled in his oh, yeah. wake too. So mm-hmm. it's it's not like you know the people that are being um, I guess systematically like oppressed and all that stuff. It's not like they're gonna get out scot free either um, because they're not all good people going mm-hmm. on. You know, there's plenty of bad people in these neighborhoods too. So there's just a lot to dissect about it i think you know there's a lot of depth to the mythology of Candyman. it's not just it's not just a straightforward like actual prototype which i think a lot of people mistook like the original maybe for or maybe i don't like i don't know why people think that kind of aspect is new to this now do they kind of yes they add more stuff to kind of uh flesh out the story mythology but there were aspects of it there before this movie. Um, mm-hmm. And I think this is kind of, I think what this movie does in a creative and, you know, justifiable way is kind of showing that, yes, the, there, there will be basically a candy man for every generation until mm-hmm. like the injustices stop, because that's kind of what James candy man. Like, even if you took, even if you were like insistent that it was all like a manifestation, a manifestation of your mind or whatever, it still doesn't change the fact of why Candyman sort of exists in that lane anyway, you know? Absolutely. And, um, I think the movie did, and it, you can almost look at this one, like as the start of like a modern franchise, if they wanted to go that route, yeah. should they, I, I can't say either way because a lot of times you know, they won't be as good if they try to keep going. But this one feels like almost like the first movie and resurrecting Candyman as, you know, something that they could go forward with in, in the future if yeah. they chose to. No, absolutely. It's definitely, you know, Wes Craven's new nightmare of the Candyman franchise. Um, I, I kind of noticed that as I was watching the movie, too. Oh, you're trying to remind people about Candyman. I get it. Cool. Um, Which is... Which is funny because if you look at the new Halloweens, they're almost doing the opposite by bringing back, you know, Laurie and <laughs> yeah. still still making it about her. It's like, well, you know, eventually Jamie Lee Curtis ain't going to be around. So are you just going to recast that or are you going to try to take it in a different direction? But I feel like with Candyman, they're doing the opposite. They're not – even though we got like our cameo, which we'll get into later, I'm sure, mm-hmm. they're, they're making sure to like say that, you know – Candyman isn't just about Tony Todd or not Tony Todd specifically, but the specific character of Candyman that he's playing. And I thought they did it in a pretty good, justifiable way. Like they didn't just simply recast it for the sake of recasting. They kind of made it made sense once they gave us the story to build up to why it is what it is. Yep, exactly. So in other words, think of Tony Todd as Daniel Robitaille playing Candyman, not Candyman exactly. as a as a figure. Yeah, that's kind of what this movie now sets up, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Tom, Daniel Robitaille Tom. was Candyman all throughout, you know, the original franchise, but that's the thing that you have to accept watching this, and I think 
some horror viewers aren't accepting it. To them, Candyman is Tony Todd. It's just like the whole conversation with Freddy Krueger and um, what do you call it, Robert England, and how you know he's the only guy who could play him. Blah blah blah. And with this, I like the fact that rather than just recasting Daniel Robitaille, they gave us a new Candyman, and I'm very okay with that. And they even talked about other characters, other men who have been uh, Candyman that are not brought up in this movie because there is one scene where uh, Anthony, our main character, is an artist um, in the movie uh, and he paints these images that pop into his head. Once he hears about the Candyman mythology, he kind of gets headlong into it, uh, which kind of brings me back to a point that Don made during the general um, thoughts section that I don't agree with. He mentioned how he uh, how Anthony it didn't make sense that Anthony literally hears the name Candyman and suddenly he's obsessed. I think because of the reveal of who he is and the fact that his mother probably spent his entire life trying to keep that word away away from him and then he suddenly hears it and something primordial inside of him all, you, you can almost say kind of switches on and it's like well wait a minute why does that name mean so much to me he doesn't know why it means a lot but it does mean something so I, I think it's something that was ingrained into Anthony when he was young because obviously he's not going to remember the trauma that he went to uh, that he went through in the original movie you know being kidnapped by Candyman and then getting returned by Helen but it's still going to leave a scar. It's still going to leave a, a little imprint on your psyche. And I think that is kind of our explanation, how Anthony, just by hearing the name, suddenly gets obsessed with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. If it does that, I would have preferred mm -hmm. a little bit more buildup because it's just the one time and then five minutes into the film, he's obsessed with it. Yeah. To, uh, yeah. I mean, to me, I would have preferred a little bit more rationale. Because well, the way we look at it, like I said, I, try not to comparing it to the original, but looking at the way Helen dis Helen discovers the legend of Candyman in the original, where it's part of her grad study and she gradually becomes more and more obsessed with hanging out into the community to the point where it becomes the sole focus of her identity and her journey is unraveling the mystery behind Daniel Robitaille and Candyman. Uh -huh. To me, that made a lot more sense and it was... A Oh, sure. Gradual. This one here, after one conversation five minutes into the film, he spends the rest of the film obsessed with it. I, I didn't get that same kind of that same connection and the same immersion that he that we should have had in the original. Oh, well, I mean, that goes back to, you know, the short uh, length of the movie is that we're not able to get a lot more. Like we get nothing from Anthony's childhood, you know, nothing from the 90s, um, from anything before this movie. Like I said, they talk about a couple of things, but it's not like we get flashback scenes. We get uh, any flashback scene in the movie is done with the uh, puppet uh, animation, which, by the way, I really, really liked. Um, I'm sure everybody's seen whether you see saw the movie or not. You saw it in the trailer. Some was really, really nice animation. Was that, uh -huh. that the actual trailer that they used for that, or was that new stuff? Because I know that they were that they did a trailer using that kind of puppet style. I didn't watch it, but was that the actual right. trailer? It wasn't uh, a trailer. It was a short. It was actually a short that Nia did um, to help promote this movie. So I guess in a, in a way it is kind of a trailer. But it basically but I'm saying, it basically that, tells the original story of Candyman, but all in that puppet animation. But I'm saying the the footage in the film is the footage of that trailer or short. Yes, or yes, it, it is. The, yeah, it is. The they use some of it. Yes. 
Oh, okay, cool. Because, yeah, like I, that was one of the things I wanted to bring up in totally space until you said it. Yeah. Was, yeah, I love that backstory with the uh, puppet animation and the... Yeah. yeah, that stuff was really cool. And the fact that you could actually see the human hands holding the puppets, yeah. I actually thought that gave it a little extra charm. I, yeah, like, I like yeah, that, that was yeah. cool. <laughs> that was one of the things that I liked about it, too, was exactly. you see the puppet master hands, you see the strings... You see him, yeah. them manipulating the doll to do their actions. Yeah, that was a yeah. really fun charm. Kind yeah, of like Igor when they did that, too. Yes, exactly. Yeah, very much like that one. Yeah. Um, I yes. also, I don't know how you guys uh, felt about this, but this was another aspect that I liked. I liked how over the years, over the last 20 whatever years since the events of the original movie, how the story had changed. Like, when uh, when um, William's girlfriend's gay brother told the story of Candyman, they made Helen the villain. They actually mm-hmm. said that it was Helen that kidnapped the baby and that she ran into the fire voluntarily after someone snatched the baby back from her. So it's kind of cool how, because this, this kind of uh, speaks to the human condition as well, how when we tell our tales from generation to generation, little things change to the point where 20 years down the line, the story's almost unrecognizable. Like, as yeah. they're telling the story, I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? There were like a hundred witnesses that night that saw Helen come out of the bonfire and give the baby back to Anne Marie. And it's like... But somehow, just through, you know, folklore, it changes and it made it, it changed the narrative so that Helen was the villain. And I don't know if that's a, a a race thing. Like, maybe it's just easier for black people to believe that a white woman was the villain in this story. Uh, you know, so there's there's even, you know, social commentary there to think about. But, yeah, I love that. I, I, I mean, because I've seen it happen. I, I've, I've had people tell me a story. 10, 20 years apart, and the story changes. And it's like, wait, what? That's not what you told me 10 years ago. So, yeah, it could also be like they're, you know, a whitewashing cover up of like the events where like maybe reporters went down there to like interview people and they're like, we're not going to report on this Candyman nonsense. Like, exactly. if they, you know, <laughs> things can get perverted or, you know, the old thing where, you know, 20 people look at something and you get 20 different stories about what actually happened because. Exactly. There's so yep. much going into like what you personally recall. Um, but go, just uh, I want to go back to what you were just saying, kind of about uh, Anthony's like quote unquote obsession with Candyman. I think mm-hmm. the big difference is uh, Helen in the original. You know, she kind of was razor focused on searching Candyman, like the yes. Candyman mythology itself. I think with Anthony, um, it. Candyman was one aspect of it, like the mythology, but I think he was also very interested in kind of just the uh, background of Caprini Green itself, too. And that's really a major part of what led him down there. And then the Candyman stuff, of course, is an aspect of that. But I think, you know, because we have to remember, he he was having he was he's an artist. Um, He's coming on, you know, he's kind of moving up in the world of art but he's kind of hit a roadblock a uh, writer not writer's block but whatever whatever artist block to it something artist block creative block something yeah, yeah so he hears about caprini green you know through the conversations here hearing about it just caprini green itself you know they're having the conversations about everything and then yes candy man's involved too but i think he 
he had a genuine interest to hear about this neighborhood itself, Candyman being part of it. Yeah. But I think his motivation was all encompassing. It wasn't just like, well, I want to go find out about this thing called Candyman. Yes, that interested him too. But I think he, you know, he was looking to get more quote unquote woke with his art, you know, come up with something that he felt was important to say. And then that's of course what led into almost uh, the criticism of that saying, okay, you artists come in here to the bad parts of town to get your muse, right? Get your muse for your inspiration for your art pieces. And then a bunch of white people go look at it and you make your money and then you leave just as fast as he would have right back out. And what did it really do for the project? Did you really bring this next level awareness or did Uh people just kind of like look at it for a few minutes and then go back to their normal life? Um, So, yeah, I just, that was what, I mean, for me personally, that's what I got out of his, you know, kind of uh, interest uh-huh. in Candyman as well. It wasn't just Candyman. It was also just the history of Caprini Green and how that kind of led to the legend of Candyman. Because you remember, like, uh, like going back to what I said a while ago, when the movie starts, a lot of the Candyman mythology is just not there anymore for the most part. There's a few, stra- you know, people kind of vaguely know it, but. Um, almost kind of like God I, to to bring up this movie alongside it. You remember what was it, Freddy versus Jason, where like the mythology of Freddy was almost kind of dead because everyone was on the the sleep or the dream. Oh uh, yeah, the, the dream inducing pills, the dream hypnosis. Right, hypnosis. Right. So yeah. like the lore and the mythology and history of Freddy was almost like gone. So yeah. he had to use Jason as a what vi- uh, like a device to make people a tool, remember yeah. <laughs> a tool. Yeah. So God, not that I'm, you know, totally different movies, no, no, totally but, different movies. but I see it, your, it I just kind of, yeah. Yeah. It just briefly kind of reminded me of like, yeah, he, the, the, there, there just has to be a way to bring Candyman back into the forefront because a lot of, I think the point was like a lot of these issues are still going on, but there is no Candyman for this generation around to kind of like, reflect and make people look in the mirror at the issues going on right alongside of him because i think that's another point when we get the death of the i can't remember, let's see what what's her name the the well there's the kind of higher up artist there's only the two there's oh I there's love that because uh, you have the the woman and then her boyfriend in the art gallery and then there's the attack at the girls at the end and then the what? police officers the, well, no, and the the art the uh, the the art critic in her apartment, which uh, is my favorite uh, kill in the movie, by the way. Yeah, and I, and I think yeah, the, Isn't that the on- art. No, no, that's the, that's one of the only kills that's actually on screen. It's the one where we see it from outside her apartment, and she and she just all we see is an invisible force pick her up off the ground and drag her across uh, the the window because that whole side of her apartment is glass, and then we see she the blood trail that it's leaving. I love that kill. I, that's one of those shots I was talking about because the that shot is from outside the apartment, and as the woman is getting killed, the camera is actually um zooming out it's zooming away yeah i remember i don't remember him actually dragging her across i yeah yeah because it leaves the blood stain the way i I don't even remember that i all i remember about the scene is that he he's in the apartment and then she goes into the bathroom he walks out of the hallway and confronts Candyman in the hallway and then freaks out and then he he goes back in and sits down to finish the interview 
but then he freaks out and leaves. And right. then, like you said, he, it's, he, the camera backs out, and mm-hmm. you see him leave the apartment, and then her walking out, after, and then that's it. Oh, no, she's not walking. That's what you that you misconstrued that. She's not walking across the window. She's actually floating. She's a good yeah. six inches off the ground and she's being dragged and it's leaving a bloodstain behind her right at like the the head area at the head level. It's I leaving this long. So basically, he slit her throat. Yeah, that's right. He's definitely there. Yeah. Oh, um, I, the, I look at that as him. I saw that completely then as him leaving the apartment and then her walking out after him to chase him down. And then the scene ends. No. Oh, oh. yeah. She's not walking. She's floating. (laughs) Yeah. And the, the, the beauty in that shot was basic because yeah, it starts kind of focused on her uh, loft window. And as it pans out, it's, I mean, I I would say the commentary in that scene is basically saying, you know, there's someone getting murdered or, whatever right in front of your eyes and everyone's just going about their life like it's not yeah basically like ignoring the issues going on around you all the adjacent Um, apartments had like people just going about their everyday lives while in that center window there's a woman being killed by an invisible force yeah that's probably one of my favorite shots of the film that was so nice and even though it's not a close-up of the kill because it is a far shot you you know it still worked for me it was very effective uh, you know, I did see yeah, that twice too, so I mean, I might have that benefit too. But I well, did like that first watch. Yes, and but, I think a scene like that. I think a scene like that. It's more important what what overall is happening in the kill itself, anyway. I mean, what they're trying to get across by the shot of panning out to show everyone just kind of going about their lives. Exactly. You know, most people can only see Candyman in, in a reflection. Only one or two people in the movie actually like saw him up front up you know close because the people in the gallery never actually saw him they saw him in the mirror and then he basically yeah. just killed them from behind oh um, yeah speaking of uh-huh. speaking of the mirror scenes which you oh, know, yeah. obviously is in, um, the continuing mythology i forgot to bring because it was one of the first things i was going to bring up but we're well into the movie now but i'll just quickly when the when the movie first started and we got the backwards stuff like uh-huh. the was upside down shot something whatever no i'm talking about like the opening opening uh what's what's the name of like the production company with the cheese oh, monkey paw? Like mon- monkey is it monkey, monkey paw yeah, like monkey paw. the way it was all backwards and stuff at first i was like did yeah. they put this mirror image wrong yeah. <laughs> um yeah, and then once everything was correct yeah they, yeah yeah they flipped the because they flipped the lion around too yeah, everything was flipped. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> then once once we got past that and everything was normal, I was like, oh, that must be a mirror theme. But at first I was like, oh, did they mess up the real? <laughs> I, was hoping the was credits, cool. I was hoping the closing credits would scroll down instead of up. Like, just do everything backwards in the movie. That would have been cool. No biggie. But, uh, but I, also, I also like, because I, I don't remember... God, I, I, I should remember because I watched the original not that much longer, but maybe because I wasn't thinking mm-hmm. about it as much. But I, obviously, you know, Candyman manifests in a mirror in the original. But I think in this one, they they really took the mirror aspect of it. Like, they just expounded upon it. Yeah, they just ramped it up. That's all. The fact that, that, like, look, like the mirror is a device to look back at yourself. Like, what are you, what? 
what's your role in all this? Just yeah. not and not specifically for always for an individual character, but just in general. Like, what are you doing to help the problem as opposed to hurt it? You know, just yeah. I, I don't remember the old saying, but something about like you know how the mirror will feel everything about whatever that you know. I don't remember yeah. that thing. So somebody but, uh, listening probably knows, but. <laughs> But I also, I mean, back to the mirror gags, I I really like that scene, too, in the art critic's apartment when Anthony looks in the mirror and sees Sherman, the Sherman Candyman. I thought that was a really cool scene, too. Oh, and by the way, how cool was the fact that none of the flies in the movie or very few of them were actually real? They were like on the other side of the mirror. I thought that was such a great effect. I, don't know if you guys I thought they were, I or thought bees. They were bees. Uh, yeah, 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 the bees. I'm sorry, bees, bees, bees. Yeah, I, I, but yeah, th- th- there was even one shot in the in the bathroom kill with the girls where one of the girls dropped her compact and one of the bees flies up to the mirror and actually goes into the mirror and is now on the other side. I just th- th- these were just little shot choices that I just fucking loved about this it's just just adding more to think about like you know just ah oh god there, there's so many ideas whipping around my head right now it's hard to put them all into words but yeah i i really like that use like like i said all the uses of the mirror in this movie including the art piece because um our 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 main character anthony for his art exhibit um he actually creates a piece of art that is a mirror and then when you open the mirror, it's it's almost like a bathroom cabinet mirror. And when you open it, behind it are pictures of random atrocities that have occurred to, like, the black community. Um, and then there's, like, a, a little piece of paper that goes along with the exhibit that actually gives the mythology and even instructions on how to summon Candyman. That's where he fucked up. <laughs> He's got all these people summoning Candyman, you know, um, from just an art thing that he was trying to put together. He was just trying to make something thought provoking. And instead he made something that killed many people and including himself, you could say, mm-hmm. <laughs> but that yeah, was, that's that the other critic, thing. cause that was a good, that was a good art piece. I don't care what that critic says. Oh yeah. Fuck that critic. That critic was dumb as hell. I, I, I thought it was cool. It was provocative. I liked it. Uh, but then I think one of the last things we got left to talk about is our finale and man, I really like the finale because when, oh, and by the way, before we get to the finale, I don't know if this was obvious and maybe I didn't catch it or if you guys caught this or not. Were were the filmmakers trying to imply that William Burke, the guy in the laundromat, was the little kid from the first movie? Uh, the little kid who talks to Helen and then throws the hook on her grave at the end? It almost felt because uh, there was one part where they were um, where he was talking and then it fades to a shot of that little kid. So I don't know if they were trying to do a, a Saving Private Ryan type swerve. If you guys have seen Saving Private Ryan, they kind of do the same thing yeah. with a fade, you know, from Tom Hanks to, you know, the old uh, Private Ryan. Um, so I don't know. Did you guys get that idea at all that William Burke was supposed to be that little kid? Or was that just me putting too many pieces together? Uh, I thought it was possible. Like, I wasn't 100% sure. But I thought that maybe they were trying to implant. Because I was like, he's either supposed to be that kid or just, if not that kid specific, 
he was like a kid in the nineties that was around for the nineties Candyman, and he's that's the thing you know, too kinda... is that he because um, he's the one who knew the real story. Mm-hmm. The story, the incorrect story with Helen Lyle being the villain was told by um, uh, Brianna's uh, gay brother. Uh, what was it? Troy. Troy was his name. Um, so obviously he got the story wrong, but William Burke knew the exact story, even knew about Daniel Robitaille, knew that Helen had nothing to do with the baby getting kidnapped, that she, he even made the comment that I, I, I believe that she went looking for Candyman and she found him. Um, so it's almost like he was there and, you know, as far as age appropriateness, it seems like it, you know, if it's approximately 30 years or how many, how many years, when was Candyman? I, I already, 82, first, 92. 92. So, uh, so what's 92, that? Yeah. So uh, 29 years. 20, yeah. So almost 30 years or 28 yeah. if you count when it was supposed to have Sure, sure. I mean, the actual release date. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, we're talking 25 plus years. So, I mean, it seems age appropriate because he's older than Anthony, um, you know, because he's got gray in his hair and his beard. So he's very Mm -hmm. obviously older than Anthony. I don't know. I I wasn't sure if that was something that the filmmakers were trying to shoehorn in there or if it was just me, you know, uh, trying to connect. Because once the connection was made to Anne Marie and Anthony, uh, that's when I started thinking, okay, this little kid's probably going to be in here. And then that's when I thought about William Burke. So I don't know. Like I said, it could just be me, you know, over uh, overthinking things, but it would have been cool if it was. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's a close call either way. I think it's safe to say that's what they were saying, but if not, I mean, he was definitely, it, I, 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 I yeah, I guess you could say it's inconsequential to whether the story whether it, oh, no, that yeah. was actually him or not. But I doesn't make but I do no. like the fact that you know there is someone from the community around. They're still there, and then I also thought because you know now he's owning like a laundromat that might have been like a, a hint that it was him too. But I you know I I did like that kind of washing machine metaphor with the washing cycles and absolutely you know how history repeats itself it just runs in a cycle over and over again and until (laughs) yeah i i thought that was pretty and that's a great example of like showing something you know that's exposition through just cinematography and scene not yeah. Not even dialogue. I, I think it's always smart when you do that. And I, I like that's the type of thing that, like, sometimes you don't catch on a first watch. You yeah. know, it, you could say, well, oh, well, he works at a laundromat, so they're just showing his laundromat, you know. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. oh, go ahead. Oh, no, no, I was just saying, yeah, I mean, that's all I had to say about that. Cool. All right, so let's get into this finale. Um before we get into the finale, let's set it up a little bit. Uh, we've been talking about William Burke, uh, the laundromat owner who kind of knows everything about Candyman and has been giving Anthony all this information. As it turns out, uh, he is a much bigger player in this than we ever thought. He's way more than just a narrator. He is actually actively trying to create the next Candyman. Um, I don't know why, because the current Candyman seems to be doing a fine job of whatever it is he needs to do. Um, but I do also think that he, you know, he probably picked a good candidate to be the next Candyman just because of everything that he's gone through in his life. Um, you know, the fact that he is a black man in a, in a, in a very white artistic industry, you know, where they're having shows like that, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, most of the people at the show, most of the other artists at the show were all white, blah, blah, blah. So, 
Um, I here's my mm-hmm. explanation. Go ahead. As to why, um, because yeah, and you know, I have to just hear me out, I guess, and you either agree disagree with aspects mm-hmm. of it, but so you know, we pick up. Uh, with, you know, former Candyman mythology being kind of dead. So we've gone through all this period of gentrification over the last 20 years. The neighborhood is not 100% white now, but it's pretty much like, you know, Mm -hmm. a white uh, hipster village who they really have no attachment to the Candyman of old. So I think, you know, Anthony comes in doing his research. Uh, William Burke recognizes hey this guy even though he was born here and his roots are from caprini green the dude pretty much lives in like the hipster white person world now the, yeah you know an artist and basically i think he is trying to create the new candy man through him because once he becomes the new candy man well this new candy man's legend is going to be known among the yeah fucking that's true white people that took our neighborhood from us and who's this can like when you have a bunch of white people running around instead candy man in the mirror and who's he going to terrorize well he's going to start terrorizing like the people and maybe they'll get their neighborhood back like that's sure that's the way i took it because like i think from william burke's perspective he's like we suffered in caprini green for all these years finally the neighborhood gets you know, upgraded to a decent place to live yet. Who's benefiting from it? Not the people that were here before we all Mm -hmm. either got taken out by, you know, crime prison or just moved along to like the next project. And here are all these new people that just moved in and making it, you know, benefiting basically from how we got screwed over by the system. So I think in, in his mind, he's like, well, you know, this new candy man is going to take out those people instead of, our people sure, sure that that's what i got from it that there could be flaws in that argument but that's just kind of and like i said it's based on one watch so there could mm-hmm. be more to it i could be wrong but that's just how i took it no i mean i'm, I'm not going to say you're incorrect it's it, it's one angle definitely um i still kind of lean towards the hereditary aspect of it the fact that he was the child that was kidnapped by Candyman. he has been touched by Candyman, literally if not figuratively so, you know, I, I, I'm, I, I'm a true believer in th- everything leaves an imprint, no matter how young you are, even though your conscious mind may not remember everything, it does leave a mark on you. And I feel like that mark is always there, whether you recognize it or not. So I think William Burke just recognized who this guy was, potentially. Another defense of why I think William Burke is that little kid from the beginning, because well, it seems well, like they all... might have. Uh-huh. Uh, I do agree that he kind of in a way i i I agree there was somewhat of a kindred spirit aspect to it Mm -hmm. where like it was always kind of meant to be him but the kind of like the missing element until the third act happens is like well is usually from what we learn like all the new iterations of Candyman, it usually comes from some kind of trauma right so he almost has to william Burke still has to kind of set the wheel in motion for him to get murdered. Oh, yeah. Because... Daniel, uh, excuse me. Anthony has to die the way he died to become a Candyman. It's like, I right. believe that's a steadfast rule. Yeah. And that's why he, he 
did the window dressing aspect to make him Candyman, like, you know, by sawing off his hand, putting the hook in him because he he almost had to do like the Roy the ambulance driver makeover to make him <laughs> Candyman. Yeah. So that way, when the cops busted in, you know, there's still that vague knowledge of hook guy or whatever to maybe to the cops, you know, so then they bust in and without oh, really much hesitation. Here goes. The oh, shooting. right at the end. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really didn't like I, I understand why the scene is done the way it is. I just it's I, I understand. Yeah, there are racist police officers. I understand that. But considering the fact that Anthony was on the ground, laying on the ground on his back in his girl's arms, and then the cops just come into the room and yeah, shoot that's, him instantly. I, I that's <laughs> a that's one little aspect of the scene i didn't like like how come exactly. how come instead like you just had like her uh, confronting him and you know he's kind of out of it at this point anyway mm-hmm. you could have just had him like having a tense conversation you didn't have to have him like murdering her or even like fighting you could have just had him kind of like standing facing each other tense. even if he's just kind of standing up and he looks like a physical yeah, in the cops' cool, yeah. eyes, and they just start blasting. That makes sense, but the fact that he's kind of cradled in her yeah. arms, I'm just like, uh, it's a reach. It definitely is a reach. It's yeah, uh, it'd be a little bit of a stretch from a black filmmaker because I mean, how, ultimately, how like I said, are, that's how they look at cops. Shot, you know, I, I don't know how she didn't get shot either if they're blasting. That's what I said. I'm like, oh shit! They shot her, and that's how he's gonna become Candyman. That's what I was thinking. That was my that was my thought too. Yeah, because that was exactly where I was going with it. He's gonna <laughs> become Candyman. No, that was my yep idea too with the twist, the ending that he's gonna become the Candyman, avenging her. Yep. Yeah, yeah because that was my that that was my whole she, thought too. Yeah, I was gonna bring that up. Yeah, when she initially gets put in the cop car and, like, she kind of brings her hands up and there's blood all over them, at first I thought it was going to be revealed that, like, she ended up getting shot, too, and she was going to slowly die in the back of the cop car. That's what I thought was about to happen, but then we get what we get. But I I just found it kind of – I don't know. It just kind of felt like that – that was one of those scenes where it just feels like either because of – yeah, clock convenience. Like we're at the we're at the finale, the climax. We got to just make it happen. Yeah. Okay, here's the easiest way just to make it happen, and then we just did it. Um, but so then, that yeah, like yeah. <laughs> go ahead. Let's get the then. <laughs> um, and then, uh, like I said, uh, William Burke is taken out. Uh, I I forget specifically how he got taken out, but it's not important anyway. Um, and then, as we said, we get a scene where. Daniel, or Daniel, they got me calling him Daniel now. Anthony, who has now freshly had his hand chopped off and he has the hook in his hand, um, falls to the ground. Like I said, um, uh, Brianna is cradling him. They are both on the ground. The cops burst into the room and instantly just shoot the first black man they see, um, which, of course, kills him. They end up taking Tiana back to the car. We get another kind of over-the-top racist scene with a white cop trying to tell her, this is the story you're going to tell or we're going to make you an accomplice and just pin everything on you as well. Um, they they have no interest in the truth whatsoever. They just want their narratives um, spread so that, you know, 
they're, they're not held covered. accountable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so anyway, um, Anthony is now dead, officially just gone. He is shot multiple times by the police. Uh, Tiana's in the car. Um, the cop, like I said, trying to convince her to tell the lie um, just to cover it so that the cops can cover their ass. And she doesn't uh, relent. She basically is like, no, no, no. Um, I forget her exact words, but she's not willing to lie. And basically, she just tells the cop, well, let me just show you the truth. And she asks the police officer if he could move the rearview mirror so that she's so that it's facing her so that she's looking in the mirror. And of course, we pretty much get the climax that we expect at that point. She says Candyman five times into the police officer's mirror and out comes the new Candyman, Anthony, as the new Candyman. And people who are bitching about uh, Sherman as Candyman in this movie seem to be completely ignoring the few minutes that Anthony appears as Candyman because he now has the big booming voice that the Sherman Candyman didn't have. He now sounds and looks more like Tony Todd. He's got the big booming voice. And at that point, I was giddy. I was absolutely giddy. Uh, watching Anthony just take out all these white cops again, mostly off screen. We're not really getting all the viscera that we'd like to see, but, and, and then we get our face to face where uh, Brianna and Anthony as Candyman are now face to face. Obviously we're all wondering, you know, is he going to take her out anyway? Because technically she did summon him, but it seems like maybe he still has recognition of who she is and just decides um, he's not going to kill her. He just turns around to her and just says one thing. Tell everyone about me. And that's basically where our movie end, ends. Anthony disappears as the new Candyman. And we just see uh, our girl walk away. And then we get a cool end credit sequence. One of the cooler end credit sequence I've seen in a while. Because the entire end credit sequence had like animation and still shots and different things like that. Rather than just doing a part of the credits with like that kind of art style and then just doing the traditional white on black background up scrolling credits, they actually do the entire closing credits with different background pictures and animations, parts of the puppet show, things like that. I just thought, man, they put a lot of effort into the closing credits, so I, I wanted to point it out that I thought they looked really cool. Um, I don't believe we got a post-credit scene, right? I I do remember staying. No, I don't think there was one. Yeah, I didn't remember anything. Yeah. Nope. So I, yeah. I stayed just on just thinking maybe it would happen, but nope. I, I, I was just so fascinated with the credits, I didn't mind staying. Oh yeah, I, I definitely <laughs> it was. So nice. I was enjoying. Like I I could have sat there for another fifteen minutes watching more of that. That's what I mean. You could give me a 90 minute movie of just the puppet animation telling me the entire original Candyman story, literally in the hour and 48 minutes that the original one runs. Just tell me the whole story in that puppet animation. I would buy that Blu-ray. <laughs> that, that's some cool stuff. Definitely some um, herbal pleasures needed to enjoy the animation, but I, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that's it, folks. Candyman 2021. Uh, shouldn't we also do the other hidden surprise just before the credits? Oh, right. Our our our, our uh, cameo, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Uh, 
uh, during uh, the finale, when it's revealed that there have been multiple candy men throughout the years, we actually do get a shot of Tony Todd. I'm not sure if it's the actual Tony Todd or if it's a... It is. It, it is, is actually him. Okay. Yeah, um, I, so I, I just... Face. Yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say that. Yeah, that is mm -hmm. him. They just de-aged him. Yeah, so they de-aged his face. And he, I didn't think it looked as blood. bad as what some people said. Like, no, but because it's very dreamlike. It's not meant to be ultra-realistic looking. It's very yeah. much dreamlike. So the fact that it wasn't a perfect you know, clone of young Tony Todd, I'm very okay with. It's not like some of the Star Wars movies, um, you know, with either Princess Leia or uh, Grand Moff Tarkin, where they, you know, well, with Grand Moff Tarkin, he was a full-on CG character, whereas with uh, Carrie Fisher, she was de-aged. And if you go back and look at that, that was from Rogue One. That does not look great. Um, but in this movie, in the context of how they use the de-aging, I think it was perfect. I, and yeah, yeah, I love it. And and the key line he said is tell them what you see or saw yeah, or whatever. Tell them what you saw, tell which, them what you see. Yeah. So cool. Which so, is yeah, yeah but, basically I mean, this is where this is where the Candyman mythology kicks in again. Exactly. And of course, you know, she's part of the art world too. Um so who's you know, who's she gonna go share it with? Well <laughs> all uh -huh. these, so, you know, upper class well not upper class maybe, but like you know, the artist white people world and they're sure. going to start getting murdered. Um, one thing <laughs> I want to do touch on really quick, I think I, I we might have brought this up earlier, but um, uh, I I liked kind of like the they kind of got into like the uh, blood sucky nature of like the art world, which might have gone beyond I, I think it's kind of gone beyond the art world but basically you know when the art critic suddenly gets interested in the girlfriend only because of his kind of growing reputation yeah. where she starts getting like all the invites to like oh why don't you come show your stuff in new york or whatever because that other art critic guy shows up or a gallery owner in new york or whatever when he comes to chicago yeah. and mm -hmm. you know she thinks that like she's getting um all this stuff because of her accolades but it's really him because of all these controversies that are sprouting up. He's growing this kind of like reputation in the art world. So they're kind of like using her to get to him. Um, yeah, which it's I kind of funny was a good... he actually gets his 15 minutes of fame, not because people are praising the art, but because those two people were killed right in front of his piece. So obviously yeah. it's a big mirror with instructions on how to summon Candyman and there are two dead, you know, whatever, one museum owner and his side piece for the night, I guess. Um, they're dead right in front of that piece of art. I think that because to the point where they even say his name on the news mm -hmm. and, and it strikes him like he's like, oh, my God, they just he's said my name. Grinning. Too. Yeah, he's smiling, even though two, well, maybe not friends, but at least two acquaintances are dead. He can't stop thinking about the fact that they mentioned his name on the news. I thought that was a very realistic scene because and I, I've never been an artist necessarily. I've been a musician, so I know, you know, the starving artist mentality. And yeah, I, I could see why um, getting your name mentioned on the news would supersede a tragedy. <laughs> Sadly, well, yeah, but I think it reinforces kind of like what the the art critic 
was saying earlier, which I really like how this movie kind of handles a lot of the characters and what they have to say, because it, it tries to not make any one character totally bad or totally infallible or totally good, because the art critic kind of said that about his original the the mirror piece like you know basically like yeah i get what you're doing here but uh you know it's been done before it's not really helping the cause you think it is and then fast forward later when he starts he his reputation really grows not so much because of the art pieces but because of what happened like you said because of the murders yeah but he can't help but still be almost uh you know he's still kind of like oh my god i'm getting like accolades that's what I mean. I love that. It's, it's such a uh, human reaction. I loved it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it it just shows human beings being human beings, basically, which <laughs> I, I think is a strong point. Like he's not a flawless character in his approach to everything, too, because he's not trying to disavow. He he's almost like, okay, I guess if this is what gets me famous, and then the same with you know once the girlfriend kind of realizes what that conversation was like oh they don't really care about me they just yeah. like because because she kind of has a i think at this point she's kind of more advanced in her art career than him oh but because far, yeah. his contro- yeah since his controversy makes his name so much bigger in the art circles suddenly they're willing to step over her to get to him. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely, uh, yeah. uh it, it, it's not nearly as heavy handed as something like, uh, uh, what was that name? Buzzsaw. What was that art movie that we watched a couple of years ago from Netflix with, uh, Velvet, Velvet Buzzsaw. Buzzsaw. Yes. That's it. Like that movie was incredibly heavy handed with, you know, it's commentary about the art world. But at the same time, that movie was definitely, um, more solidly in the art world than Candyman. With Candyman, it's just an aspect of the film. It's an aspect of this one character. But I still say, yeah, they they did it really well here to the point where I didn't get sick of it. Because with with Velvet Buzzsaw, by the end of the second act, I was already sick of the commentary. It's like, okay, I get it. Let's let's move on. But here, I never had that moment. I never had that moment of let's let's get moving. You know, let's get to it. Well, you know, it's I, almost iron. It's almost irony because he he initially starts moving up in the art world because of tragedy, and now he becomes Candyman, who that's pretty much what he's going to be known for exactly. as well. Because he's going to be famous for you know when people tell the story of his Candyman, it's going to be like oh he was shot by the cops, um, and now he's come back to get his revenge. So it's almost like well. You were cool with uh, getting fame because of tragedy. Well, you're kind of living out that destiny now. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's great. Uh, be careful what you wish for. Mm-hmm. But the other reason, the other thing that I really like about where this went with the mythology is where future chapters could take us. You know, like like uh, Yahya Abdul Mateen doesn't have to be Candyman in the next movies. We could we could tell another story. Hell. We open with this mythology change. We open the door to potentially Tony Todd coming back and doing another Daniel Robitaille story. You know what I mean? It it wouldn't be a modern day story because at this point, Daniel Robitaille is very gone. But it could still be a story from like before the Helen Lyle period or something. Um, And it would be I think it would be acceptable. Um, Like I said, I mean, we get four more Candyman movies with four different Candymans in all of them. And as long as they're as well, or at least close to as well made as this one, I, I'm down for it. As long as audiences are willing to buy into the line about it being about the hive, and, or the whole damn hive, exactly. then that's exactly what you can do. Yeah. 
And and let's not overlook the fact that um, this is the number one movie in the country. It did make twenty two point three million dollars on opening weekend, which also uh, I can't believe I'm saying this in twenty twenty one. She is the first black female director to have the number one movie in America. Uh, sometimes it feels weird to still say the first black anything, but, you know, it's the world we live in. So there it is. But, yeah, uh, very cool for Nia DaCosta. And last but not least, yeah, let's all collectively stop calling this Jordan Peele's Candyman, please. Um, yes, his imprint is all over this movie. He does have a writing credit along with Nia DaCosta and the writers of the original Candyman, since he did give them credit, since they kind of created the original Daniel Robitaille lore. Um, but yeah, this is Nia DaCosta's Candyman. Let's let's get this straight. I mean, it, it has elements of um, Peel in there, but like I said, him being the main executive producer, a writer, you know, pretty much the driving force for this movie, you know, pre-production, um, it's got his DNA all over it. But I'm I'm calling this Nia DaCosta's Candyman moving forward. It just feels like. You know, we're minimalizing her efforts. And, you know, if she is now officially the first black woman with a number one movie in America, uh, she has earned that title. So, yeah, this is Nia DaCosta's Candyman moving forward, people. Let's all just agree on that now. <laughs> yeah, just give the credit where it's due. Not asking yeah. for anything more. And yeah. uh, for anybody who cares, Nia DaCosta will be directing uh, the Captain Marvel sequel. I know Marvel fans... Um, Captain Marvel, I know, was another kind of divisive uh, movie where most people either loved it or hate it, again, based on some of its social commentary that, again, some people found heavy handed. I did not. I mean, the, the commentary is very obviously there, but it, I think it needs to be there in a story, in a Captain Marvel story. I mean, she's the first you know, female lead in the Marvel Universe, so I think we needed that story to be told. But now with Nia DaCosta jumping on to direct the sequel, I'm actually very excited for the sequel, more than I was before. So, yeah, fingers crossed that, uh, you know, she's a success in the Marvel Universe, because right now that's where the money is. And she's obviously a very talented director, talented writer. So, yeah, I want to see her get that Marvel money. So we're all going to go out and see Mar Captain Marvel 2 on opening weekend, right? <laughs> Uh, I know I, yeah. Well, I know White's not. <laughs> I know I am. <laughs> That's a conversation for another podcast. Hey, I got two daughters. If they want to go see it, I'll take them. There you go. That's a good answer. You know, I, I'll it, anytime my kids want to go to the theater, I'll take them to see whatever they want. So yeah, that could happen. Uh, uh, Silence should speak volumes. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. I'll be the only Marvel stan on the show. I'm, I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for this oh. episode. <laughs> um, before we get out of here, let's find out what else we got going on. Uh, Venom, have you recorded anything since our last episode of Fresh Cuts? Actually, no. Uh, I haven't recorded anything. So literally... Uh, latest episode of It's Not Horror Okay is still our commentary on Miami Connection, uh, which is currently available on the Dark Discussions Podcast Network. Um, you know, episode 35 of the main show is still the latest episode. Uh, but we're actually going to be getting together this weekend, yay, to finally record episode 36 of the main show, where, as I mentioned uh, previously, we're going to be looking at a couple of films from the year of my birth. So, yeah. 
Uh, we're going to be looking at ancient horror. I'm sorry, folks, all of you young horror fans out there. I am old. I apologize. But yeah, we're going to be looking at uh, Herschel Gordon Lewis's uh, The Wizard of Gore and The Dunwich Horror, which will be a first time watch for me. So I'm very excited. Not Wizard of Gore. I love Wizard of Gore. That's a movie I watch every couple of years. I love Herschel Gordon Lewis. Um, yeah, I, I, I dig mindless violence. Sorry. <laughs> uh, and then I think that's it, right? Um, uh, my guest spot on Kill the Cast, that episode is still their latest episode. I believe it's episode 92 of Kill the Cast, where we go over streaming recommendations, horror streaming recommendations, and everything else is still in the planning stage. So that's it for me, Mike. All right. Uh, Don, how about you? Nope. Planning stages for everything on my end. All right. As far as I go. Yeah. As far as I go, same as Venom. Nothing since the last Fresh Cuts. Uh, Roundtable coming up soon. So once that is out of the way, we'll start churning out other stuff. Um, as far as our next episode, I think it's a week off from the theater this week because Malignant's not this coming up Friday, but the next Friday, correct? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Okay. I've got, I've got stuff opening out here, but I doubt, um, you guys are going to get anything. Obviously that Danzig movie, um, Death Rider in the House of Vampires is currently playing out here in LA. I can't imagine I will be so bored or brain dead enough to want to go see it. So likely I won't, but I, who knows? I mean, there's not really a whole lot else playing that I haven't seen. So maybe I'll check that out this weekend though. I seriously doubt it. We'll see. Uh, Veronica was just so fucking bad. <laughs> I, I still can't wash the taste of that movie out of my mouth. God damn. I hated that movie. <laughs> uh, I did. Um, I, I right. actually saw the trailer though for this movie. Once again, um, I went to see, what did I go to see? Um, oh, it was when I went to see Demonic, when I went to see the new Neil Blumkamp movie. Uh, once again, I forgot my earbuds, and they played the trailer for that movie, for uh, the Danzig movie. And it actually doesn't look terrible, but again, trailers lie. So <laughs> I'll, wait, I'll wait for streaming on that one. <laughs> but hey, I uh, mean, if you're, right. if you're a gigantic vampire fan, maybe there's something in it for you. I don't know. It didn't look terrible for whatever it's worth. But again, I'm not giving Danzig any more of my money until he puts something good out. <laughs> I already bought all his damn albums. He's got enough of my money. Yeah, really? <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, so we'll likely be picking something off VOD. There's tons there. Oh, yeah. Um, that and... that new movie on Netflix is getting a lot of buzz. The Old Ways. Oh yeah, I, I, that's, that's been getting right. a lot of buzz. There's new stuff on Hulu. I mean, yeah, there we've got plenty in the in the tank to choose from. So yeah, we'll figure it out. Um, but until then, thanks everyone for listening. We will catch you in a week's time. Stay out of listeners. Later. I want some candy. <laughs> Peace.